She was an incredible woman. Approachable, friendly, and I'm going to use a very hard word. Lonely. Very lonely. Very difficult to um, wait a whole day for the 15 minutes that that ever would come. From the moment we are born, the story of our lives begins to be written. This is Chapters, a podcast dedicated to exploring our story. Who am I and what am I meant to be doing in this world? Perhaps through listening, understanding, questioning, we better understand our own story. It all begins from Chapter 1. Mrs. Swerdlove. An educator, public speaker, and public figure in Lubavitch, you are an icon. I have the privilege of sitting next to you in the staff room on some days. And today, we are going to be speaking about, specifically, your relationship with Rabbits and Hana, in honor of Vav Tishrei. So let's start from the beginning. Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood, where you were born, how you grew up? Well, I haven't grown up yet. I'm working on it. And um, I was born in, actually, Kyrgyzstan, when World War II began. Rabnissen Nemanov, who was one of the mashpiyam in uh, Lubavitch circles, wrote to the Freyadike Rebbe and asked what to do. And the Freyadike Rebbe said to go east. So most of Chabad Lubavitch in Russia went towards the east, towards Shanghai, you would want to say, towards the east. We ended up, because the Germans weren't going there, yeah? We ended up in places that you know, Samarkand, Tashkent, uh, that's uh, Uzbekistan, yeah? Um, My father was an invalid and um, was an incredible man, walked on canes, but you never knew it because he ran everywhere and did everything. Uh, Der Tate, as we called him. He was afraid that in with Tashkent and Samarkand, he wouldn't be able to find a way to make a living because there were so many, many, many people. And so he went to a city called Frunze, where I was born. Today it's called Bishkek. And it's the capital city in Kyrgyzstan, in Kyrgyzia. And my brother and I, my brother Ishmael Butman, uh, we were born there. When I was a little girl, I remember the Tata always said, uh, You were born when we were running. I was a little girl. I kept imagining them running, and poof, there I was. Anyhow, they were running, and I was born. Uh, the war was over May the 7th, 45, right? May 7th or May 15th? I was born March 7th, 45, wow. just before the war was over. One year, I had such a big schos. They invited me to come to Almata to speak for Rablevik's 75th yard site. Almata is an hour away by plane from Bishkek. And uh, I had a ticket, and I went to the airport, and uh, the plane was canceled. And there was no way for me to, to remain because it was Thursday. I wanted to be home for Shabbos. So I was that close, wow. that close to Frunze. 
to Bishkek, and I didn't make it. Wow. So what year did you come to America? Oh, goodness gracious. We left in 1945, maybe 46. Anybody out there who knows the history of, of um, Lubavitch, Russian Chassidim, know that we left on Polish papers because the Poles, after the war was over, the Polish government said that anyone who is Polish can come through Russia till Poland. Now, none of us had papers, so we all became Poles. We didn't speak a word of Polish, not a word. So these are false papers? Uh, right, yeah. Stolen, forged, bought on Polish papers. Nobody spoke Polish. So my father told our echelon, and echelon is a group of rail cars, that the reason we don't speak Polish, if they ask us if we're Poles, how come we don't speak Polish? Because we only speak Yiddish. That's brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. So we were Russians on Polish papers that only spoke Yiddish. And another funny, not funny, passports there were not individual. Passports were family passports. Yeah. So if you got a passport with four people on it, mother, father, two children, but you had four children. So two of the kids were on somebody else's passport. So the kids would scream, Tate, Tate, to other fathers, not the ones on their passport. So, of course, we had an answer to that, too. That to a little child, anyone with the beard looks like his father. So you were two years old when you came I to America? Two, two years old when we left. Whoa. And we went through Lvov, Lemberg, where there were incredible people. One of them you teach with, you teach with the daughter. You know Mrs. Glukowski? Yeah, of course. Her mother, Hadassah, uh, Garelik. She's the sister of Gershom Mendel Garelik, who was the Rav in Italy. She was a young girl, and she led the whole running away, getting passports, getting papers, getting trains. I'm going to mention all the names. Her sister, Yeva Zalmanov, but also Garelik. Reb Label Mochkin, they literally sacrificed their life. Wow. And they got papers. So we all waited in Lemberg until there was a way to get over the Grenitz, the border. And we were all taken to DP camps, displaced person camps run by the American government in Austria. Wow. It was very funny. I went to Vienna to speak. And I knew that my father's where we were when I was two years old. I knew that it's right near Vienna somewhere. So I asked the Schlich, I would take pay for a taxi. Would they take me there? So he started to laugh. Since I hadn't said anything funny, I couldn't figure it out. He said, don't you understand what it was? It was fields. It wasn't a city. It was fields where American, the Amer American army put up tents. It was a field of tents. There were wow. thousands of Fruma Eden in fields and fields of tents, oh. big green tents. Do you know what separated one family from another? A hanging blanket. That's how we lived. So I have to tell you the story of Rebetz and Chana there on Chof of, of 1946, I think. Reblevik passed away. She was alone. In Alma'ata. In Alma'ata, yeah. And there was no way she could stay there by herself. I mean, for what? 
And so she started the trek to go with Anash, Anjay Shlomeinu, with Lubavitchers, towards America, towards her son. He was then the son-in-law of the previous Rebbe, yeah? She came alone, and how they gave out rooms. You came with your children. If you had four children, you got a room that's a little bigger with a blanket. And if you had two children, it was a little less. People that were themselves, without a husband, without children, they waited at the end of the line. She not once walked over and said, I'm Hannah Schneerson. Wow. I'm Rablevik's wife. She stood online. And I can imagine, I want you to imagine a big field, big green tents, tent city, and people standing online. Did people recognize her? Not really. Today, my great-grandchildren, the minute they're born, they know what the Rebbe looks like. You know why? Because the Rebbe's picture is under their mummy's pillow when she's having them. In 1947, 46, nobody knew Gurnisht. So people that knew her knew her, but people that didn't know her didn't know her. You could say, you should have looked at her because you could tell she was a queen. After you know, it's easy to say, but not before. Anyhow, she stood online. There was another woman. Her name was Musyan Yamotin. Her husband had died, and she had a baby. And on that terrible train, her child died. But she didn't want anyone to know that the baby died, so she held the baby very close to her, as if she's nursing. The goyim on the train said, The child isn't crying. And she says, He's a very good child. I'm sorry, everybody. They took the body and they threw it out the window because they were afraid of being infected. And she came, and she was online with the Rebetzin. And she realized who the Rebetzin was. Maybe she asked her, I'm not sure. And when they said one at a time, and they gave Mosia Nyamoitin a room, she said, I'm with this woman. Mosia Nyamoitin, who cooked for the Bochum in 1440, gave the Rebetzin the bed. She made herself a bed out of the blankets. She made herself like a sleeping bag. And that's how she stayed with the Rebetzin in that one-person room. My father never stopped talking, which was so incredible. I have so many friends that don't know anything about their past, but it's wonderful. It's the best. I don't know if kids today appreciate it. And even us, when the Tati used to say, did I, did I tell you about? And we would all sort of smile and say, no, Ta, tell it again. He didn't stop talking. It was fantastic. Love that. So we have, we have something to stand on. So then from Vienna, where did your family Paris. go? Paris. I would say 80% of Anash went to Paris. We went to Paris for an extra reason. So let me tell you family background. Rebbe's father, Rebbe Schneer, and my grandfather, Rebbe Nachem Mendel, were brothers. So my mother and Rebbe were first cousins. My mother had a brother whose name was Zalman Schneerson. And Rebbe Zalman Schneerson was sent to Paris by the Freyad Rebbe in 1937. It made absolutely no sense. Why in 37 to go to Paris? And he was really one of the Freyad Rebbe's right-hand men in Russia. So it was by in 37, he was already in Riga, but it just wasn't understood why he sent him. But he went, didn't know what he was doing there. He got a very nice building on uh, number 10, Rue Dieu, God Street, in uh, I think the 11th arrondissement. And when my parents were going from Fekscheid or Poking, either one of those two places, I don't remember from where we left, 
they went to Paris to Rudieu, to my uncle's place. Uh, just a small story about the building. The Frederick Rebbe was there, our Rebbe was there, and I think the Rebbe Rashab was there. The Frederick Rebbe walked up the steps to the top landing where the shul was and where the apartment was, and he counted. Until 26. And he said, 26, like the name Yudkevovke. So we came to Paris. I think the Rebetzin came a little bit before us. We came to Paris to my uncle's house, en Rudeur. We came out of Pesach, and she came after Purim, maybe five, six days before us. And she came to the home of her husband's cousin. What year and was this? 47, okay. Tovshin Zion. And uh, this is the first time we ever knew that um, the Rebbe's birthday is Yudal of Nissen. How did you find out? The Rebbe told my father, I don't know about you, but by Yudal of Nissen, my house is ready for Pesach, yeah? It was Yudal of Nissen, and they made a Fabringen, and there were no paper plates, yeah? <laughs> and there were no plastic forks. So my mother, Ola Asholem, and my aunt, Sarah Schneerson, made a Fabringen, Yudal of Nissen, invited all of Anash in Paris in their house two days before Yontif. That ever came to Paris to get his mother to make papers for her so she can come to America. He stayed in a hotel. Uh, she stayed in our house. And my husband and I went to that hotel, to the Rebbe's hotel. Whoa. I walked around touching stuff. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, lady, you've got 770 right there. Yeah. <laughs> the Rebbe came twice a day to see her. But let me just tell you the beginning of that. Do you know how long she hadn't seen the Rebbe? Must have been 20 years. How long? 20 plus. Exactly. Tw not plus. 20, 20 years. years. 20 years. She hadn't seen him 20 years. The morning the Rebbe was coming from the United States to see his mother, first time in 20 years, not 20 regular years. This is 47. He left in 27. He got married in 28 by himself in Varsha without his parents. They didn't get papers to leave. They couldn't leave Ukraine or Russia to go to Poland. He hadn't seen his mother in 20 years. And he came to get her to go to the United States to make papers. Now, she hadn't seen him in 20 years. She woke up that morning very anxious. And also, please remember, the Rebbe wasn't Rebbe yet, yeah? He was the son-in-law. That morning, when she woke up very anxious, uh, what would you do today to a woman that's very anxious? What would you do today? Somebody wakes up in the morning very anxious. She hasn't seen her son in 20 years. They got a telegram that he's coming 7 o'clock in the evening. He ended up coming at 2, but 7 o'clock in the evening. You have this woman. You have a whole day to take care of her, and she's a wreck. What would you do? Get some tea, go on a walk somewhere, sit on the couch. I'm not sure. Distract her. Shopping doesn't come to your yeah, mind? Yeah, shopping. <laughs> That's more practical. She came in a hat that she had worn, I don't know for how long. She always had a hat on her shaitl. So uh, my aunt Sarah took her downtown Paris, could you imagine that, to buy a hat. Now, the Rebbe said he was coming at 7. He came at 2. I don't know how that happened. A taxi stopped in, for, in front of uh, number 10, Rudieu. Uh There were two people standing there at the time. Bronya Schaefer, Dr. Yosef Slavin, Olava Shalom, and his brother, Grinya Slavin, 
They were outside, and a taxi stopped, and a very, very, very distinguished man came out of the taxi. They knew who he was, even if he was supposed to come at seven, but they knew that whoever walked out of that taxi, he was a king. They walked over to him, and they asked him if he was the Ramash. He smiled, because I don't know if he called himself the Ramash. What was his first question? Where is my mother? Who is the mama? I think he remained outside. I've heard so many versions of this story. Some say he went into Dab Mincha, 26 steps up, yeah? Or he remained outside, or Dab Mincha came back downstairs. I took my girls to, the, to that house for my 50th birthday, and um, I remember standing there now. I went back with my husband again uh, a few years ago, and just looking down where the Rebetzin would have walked down towards her son. I, I, I want you to think what it must have been like. 20 years. They stayed until after Shavuos. It turned out to be from the middle of Oder, Nissen, Eor, Sivan, three and a half months. Wow. It took that time to, to get papers, admission to the United States of America. The Rebbe stayed in a hotel, and she stayed at our house. And as I said, he came twice a week. Uh, during that time, there are so many stories about the Rebbe and the shuls in Paris and uh, in our shul and his relationship with, with, with his mother. The kibbud aim that he showed was uh, beyond, beyond, beyond anything. And the Rebetzin was in Crown Heights? Rebetzin was here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was here. She always gave him the space to do what he needed to do. When he needed to be Rebbe, she stepped aside. When he needed to take his mother, she stepped aside. He came himself. Because with the wife, you can't do... Yeah? Yeah. He hadn't seen his mother in 20 years? Go see your mother. I don't don't have to be part of this. That's a very big godless. How long were you in Paris for? Seven years. So you remember Paris? Yeah, of course. So when's the first time you remember meeting the Robertson? Um, We came to the United States on February the 16th, 1954. It would take six months to get a yechidus. We went in the same day. Um, a very important thing. Before the Rebbe left Paris, he bought everybody in the house a, a gift. And um, we liked to think that it was prophetic, that every gift was to that person what they became. We left, and we saw him seven years later. We walked into the Yechidus room, and again, I'm going to repeat that again, because you have to understand who she was, who my mother was. It takes six months to get a Yechidus then. We went in the same day. We went to see Rabbit Samosia that day, Chaimushka, in her apartment. Well, of course, we met with uh, Rabbit Samchana, and uh, we went to Yechidus. We walked into the room. Now, my mother was an incredible woman, but she didn't know that you don't sit down in the Yechidus room. My mother knew that you listen to what someone tells you. So when she walked into the room and the Rebbe rose for her, and then the Rebbe told her to sit down, she was going to sit down. My brother, Shalomber, who just passed away, he grabbed her so she understood she's not supposed to sit Later on, she asked, If the Rebbe told me to sit down, aren't I supposed to do what he said? No, Ma. And the first thing the Rebbe said, 
sagte es, Kinder, ihr gedenkt mir? Children, do you remember me? Ihr gedenkt euch gut. I remember you well. Was that incredible? Incredible. I was two when the Rebbe left to go to the United States. My brother Muller was four. My brother Schoenberg was 14. And my sister Lea, Lea Khan, was 16 when the Rebbe left. This is Whoa. seven years later. Oh, so I, they have memories. Yeah, of course. Wow. Read my brother's book. You'll have all the memories. I will. Can I ask you what the Rebbetson was like? What Rebbetson Chana? Yes. Ah, yeah, that I could tell you a lot about. Rebbetson Chana. She was the most, I don't know from where to start, which line I should take. First of all, know that she had a very, very difficult life. Erev Pesach, 1938, there was a knock on the door in the middle of the night, and her husband was taken. In 38, she was alone with one son, Dave Ber. And Dave Ber wasn't well. So Dave Ber was in a sanatorium. He was subsequently killed by the Nazis. One woman, alone, with the winds of war happening. And her husband was taken in the middle of the night, Erev Pesach. She went through hell. She went from office to office to find out where he is. She brought food. When she finally found out where he was, one day they told her what day she's allowed to come and what day she's not. Not what day she's not, what day she's allowed to come. It was Shabbos the day she was allowed to come. So she had a Goya carry the food for him. This was the food he ate a whole week. When he came with the, she came with the food, the, the Rebbelevich said, Verot the Messen, who brought the food? So she said, the Goya, he didn't take it. That means he starved for a week, but he didn't Whoa. take it because the Goya carried it. Rabbi Zahana went from place to place. She went through hell. When he was taken, she finally found out that he was going to Chiali. I don't know how far away it was. In, in a different weather, what was she allowed to take with her? And when she got there, it was... Read, read her, her, memory, her memoirs. They're incredible. It was swamps. They were put into a room with pigs outside because that's what they found. It was horrible. And this is, to me, the worst. She left her son in the sanatorium knowing that she's most probably not going to see him again. There was a girl that was in the house. I think her name was Rivka. Rivka promised that she would go visit him. As far as 1955, we came in 54, so it had to be after 54. She said to my sister Leah, by the way, he was killed in 41. She said to my sister Leah, I wonder if I'll hear from him soon. She still had the hope that he was alive. She was also approachable, and she was so proud. She was so proud to be the Eimhamalchus, the mother of royalty. She was always, after everything she went through, she was always nice, always serene, always beautiful. She was a beautiful woman. She loved music. She used to sit in the homes of the in Nikolaev, if I remember the name, Charitonov. All our heavy Nigunim are Charitonov Nigunim. She used to sit in the homes of Charitonov every Shabbos for three hours so she can hear Nigunim. She wow. was an incredible woman. She was a very educated woman in the days when nobody was educated. She was an educated woman. 
Uh, I'm talking about uh, Jewish education, yeah? I don't have the picture here. It's upstairs. My mother passed away. I was 15 years old. Oh. Rebbe Tzachana was very, very instrumental in my life. She sat to my right at my wedding. After I had my first daughter named for my mother, I used to go for a walk with Rebbe Tzachana. I would say three times a week at least. Wow. I would meet her on the corner of President and Kingston. We would walk down to Eastern Parkway, up to Brooklyn Avenue, and then back. Was her house on the corner? Her house is on President and Kingston, the second house from the corner. She was an incredible woman. Approachable, friendly, and I'm going to use a very hard word. Lonely. Very lonely. Very difficult to um, wait a whole day for the 15 minutes that that ever would come. Did she ever speak about that? Sure. She says it. To this day, people that I talk to, they said, if we would have known, we would have gone to talk to her. Everybody was scared. Everybody had this... Intimidated. Yeah, yeah. That was, we shouldn't have been. And what I find incredible, mommy's out there. When are you happy? When, when do you feel accomplished? When do you feel you've done it? At least I do. When your kids say great things about you. The Rebbe talked about her as if she was the queen of the world. His two stories that he always told, that she helped with all the people in 1917 that were running and came through Dnepropetrovsk. Then it was called uh, Yekaterinoslav. He talks about it all the time. And also the Rebbe talks all the time about when she made ink. From the berries. He was so proud of everything she did. What do you think is something we can learn from Arvitz and Hannah today? No matter what happens, stand tall, stand straight, do what you have to. What was, was. Keep going. No complaints. Just keep going. Don't look at life through the rearview mirror. Look at life only through the windshield. You know what she gave up? Well, that's Rebetzin Mosia also. But Rebetzin Chana, she was the Rebetzin of a city. She didn't give it up. They took it, yeah? But she gave up and she went from Yekaterinoslav. By then, I think, no, by then it was already um, uh, Dnepropetrovsk after the revolution, yeah? Because they took away anything to do with kingdom, yeah, the communists. So she gave everything and she went to Kazakhstan to a tsetse fly infested, horrible for her husband. She made a choice. She left her son, not knowing if she'll ever see him again. And she went to her husband and she did it in style. She did it standing straight, doing the right thing with godless, like, like a queen. Never complained. Never complained in all the years. Happy, I don't know. Happy is a hard word. But she seemed okay, content, not complaining. Happy with whatever happened. With little things. Happy with little things. Oh. She used to always ask me if my husband helps. So I used to go home and say, Label, Rabbi Zahana wants you to help more. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. <laughs> So Robert Sanchana's legacy, Chaim. that we should always push forward, not feel sorry for ourselves. Oh, no, no feeling sorry. That's no perfect what sorry. you said now. She never felt sorry for herself. I feel grateful. For every little thing. 
Thank you so I'll much. I'll tell you one story. That I used to teach a nigma, Simchastera. My brother-in-law, Reb Yale Khan, would go sing it to her. The Rebbe didn't teach Nunigunim. The Rebbe taught Nigunim that he knew from Nikolaev, either from the homes of Charitonov or from Nikolaev and Nigunim. And she knew the Nigunim. The Rebbe sang like a bird. Deep Nigunim. I'm not talking about, uh, yeah, really deep Nigunim. Charitonov Nigunim. And uh, Reb Yale couldn't go once. I was a young girl. You could figure out. I'm Baruch Hashem, 78 now, and figure out when Shamil's Nigun was taught. But uh, I don't know, maybe I was 15, 14, I'm not sure. Figure out the numbers, because it's on, it's on record when they ever taught Shamil. Shamil is a very hard Nigun. Now, Butmans are given, are gifted by Hashem. We sing correctly. We don't have good voices. I hope no brother is going to hit me over the head. <laughs> But we sing correctly. It's an ear. We were gifted with an ear. And um, Shamil's Nigna was sung, and my ear didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to go to the Rebison to sing, and I tried. I really tried. I went, and I started, and she looked at me, and she said, I don't recognize the Nigna. Well, of course not. The way I was singing it, maybe I was singing Yankee Doodle. I don't know. But it wasn't Shamil's Nigna. <gasps> and then Yale came, late, but he came, and she said, ah, yes, basic, now I know. <laughs> so whenever I speak about Rebbe Sanchana, the first thing I do is I sing Shamil's Nigun with everybody to make up for my big boo-boo. <laughs> it's man, my favorite Nigun. Man, that was bad. Oh, you had to hear me, I'm telling you. It didn't, res she didn't even recognize one note I'm telling you, Yankee Doodle, I don't know what I sang. I'm not sure. But it certainly wasn't Shamil's Nigun. Anyhow, so about rabbits and just to tie this. Stop complaining. Stop complaining. So things aren't going as well as you want them to. But you know why? Because that's what Hashem wants. Right now, that's what Hashem wants. Let go and let God. I'm sorry, I bor borrowed that from AA, but it's so good. So true. Let go. Let the Mabishan do what he's supposed to. Every little thing that happens to you comes from Shemayim. I remember her stand. I remember her shoulders. Her hands were like this. Regal. No complaints. What was, was. What is, is. There's a future. Go for it. Go for it. Do what you're supposed to. There were no excuses. Don't walk out of the house looking like a shloch and a schlump. Put on your prettiest hat, because that's what you wore then. Put on your shaitl, put on your hat, put on your nice things. Get yourself together, walk out, or fake it till you make it. I don't know what she felt inside, but heck, you never knew on the outside. There was always malchus, there was always grandeur, there was always, we do what we have to do when we have to do it, and how we have to do it. And there are no excuses. There are no excuses. I love that. Thank you so much for your time, Mrs. Swedlove. It's such an honor. I really appreciate it. May her merit, may her bring so much brachas down to us in the upcoming year. Thank, Thank you. you. And you too, Ziskite. Lots and lots of them. Amen. Amen.